Name by Frances Timberlake, Refugee Women's Centre. The name lands on the pavement, slapped down like spilt water. A person, a body, a name, tumbling from this young boy's mouth like spilt water. Like a splash from the black sea waters the man drowned in four months ago as the young boy sat watching with the other passengers aboard. A splash, hitting the pavement now, hitting my throat from his throat, as the boy tells me about their sea journey and the moments that were this name's last, expecting justice. February 2020. The shiny opulence of the new Istanbul airport spells out progress. A branded crossroads, a transit point. A friend and I sit waiting for our flight in front of a TV screen relaying news of the first death in Europe from coronavirus. In the terminal bathroom, a woman wearing masks and gloves queues behind me. For some reason, she makes me feel a little bit nervous. Later, I would tweet a lyrical truth about the sense of dystopia I had experienced as we waited to leave Turkey. It was clear that I was yet unaware of how fully coronavirus would eclipse our ordinary concerns on that cold, blustery February day. I guess I'm embarrassed now by how slowly my awareness was punctured by the looming reality of this pandemic. Evie, my friend and Queen's University Belfast anthropology colleague and I, had just spent a wonderful week in Istanbul on our British Academy research project, which examines the intersections between labour, loss and displacement. We spent a lot of time that week with our Syrian research participants and partook in our closing conference for the project with our partners in Bilgi University. We did not know as we left Istanbul that day that our own lives, and even more so the lives of our many Syrian friends in Istanbul, would be fully transformed by the grip of enclosure. A social landscape recontoured by a global pandemic. While we all to some degree live in a world where we are vulnerable to the dancing shadows of loss and displacement, those seeking refuge from persecution, prejudice, conflict, climate crisis, indeed this list could go on and on, experience it much more forcefully than most. Many of us find shelter in otherwise privileged lives. But for those subject to the forces of harsh asylum systems, detention and even deportation, precarity lays siege to their everyday. COVID-19 has further heightened the experience of being an asylum seeker and refugee all over the globe. Indeed, it is an arbiter of the failings of asylum systems everywhere. Weeks into the lockdown on the island of Ireland, we started to hear stories from Istanbul about the severity of the impact of the pandemic on Syrians living there. A very strict lockdown meant that many Syrians could not work. Indeed, this meant that they could not afford to pay rent, even buy food. Some reported that isolation and fear had triggered traumatic memories of the Syrian conflict. Others have said that strong hostilities and prejudice towards Syrians have grown even more. Many say they fear for their safety. 
Without access to any of the COVID financial supports made available for Turkish citizens, everyday life has been made almost impossible for many Syrians. Asylum seekers and refugees reside at the blunt end of ill-thought-out immigration policies. The pandemic has compounded this, making so many subject to a stark consolation of brutalizing losses. Unfortunately for so many, no remedy appears to be within sight. COVID-19 has held a mirror up to our very many contemporary world crises and upheavals and how those intersect. As an anthropologist, I've looked to my own discipline to make sense of much of what's been happening. Anthropology in its study of displacement has offered many important insights into the ruptures and wounds of forced mobilities. Anthropologists Heike Dropbaum and Anika Lems remind us that anthropologists read and interpret displacement against the backdrop of particular genealogies of dislocation. Both as a condition driven by histories of war, colonialism and violent conflicts and as a conceptual metaphor for an existential sense of rupture and alienation. Forced displacement is the midwife of uncertainty, a rupturing of the ecologies of often quite ordinary lives. Many of my friends and family told me that during the lockdown, even in the midst of relatively privileged lives, they felt adrift, in place, at home, but yet displaced, at a loss and fearing loss from yet to come unknowns. If I'm honest, I have to admit that I felt this too, starkly it must be said. Anthropologist Michael Jackson reminds us in his beautiful book on loss, The Paper Nautilus, that there are times when the self splinters under the pressure of displacement and loss. One becomes multifaceted, I becomes another. The self, as it were, bleeds from humble, contaminated sources into other realities or ways of being. Displacement fractures one's sense of self fuels nostalgia for either a past once lived or even a future promised. To move, to be moving, to be caught waiting in the middle of this pandemic is to be purged of all certainty. Asylum seekers and refugees feel this much more profoundly than most. One only has to look to the refugee camps across the globe, overcrowded, marginal to the concerns of the state and subject in so many places to relentless police violence, these camps have been much more vulnerable to the spread of COVID-19. Within the Irish asylum system, the system of direct provision has been a very strong example of this. 
In Ireland, asylum seekers are placed in a system of so-called institutionalised living called direct provision while they wait for their asylum claims to be processed. Direct provision is a system which strips individuals and families of all of their autonomy. It was only ever intended to be a short-term measure, but it continues to exist over 20 years later, in spite of continued public protest and contestation. Malata Uche Okore in this hostile life, a beautifully written short novella about life and direct provision, gives us a very rich insight into the challenges of life therein. The main character, Mercy, tells us close to the beginning of this important book, written mainly in the voice of Nigerian pidgin English, that in my last hostel, they give you provision any day, but it's going to be one month since you collect last. So if you get toilet paper today, it's going to be one month before you get another. That is why me happy when they give me every week for here. But now, me, I don't feel happy again. This direct provision is all the same, you see. Because even if you collect provision for every week, or you collect for every month, it is still somebody that is give you the provision. Nothing is better than when you decide something for yourself. Direct provision is a highly commercialized, poorly run asylum system, which seems asylum seekers waiting for lengthy periods to have their claims processed. Calls to abolish direct provision are widespread. But for many activists, it seems that nobody is listening. The pandemic further highlighted the shortcomings of direct provision, pointing to the levels of overcrowding, the impossibility of social and physical distancing and the fear of outbreaks in these centres. During lockdown, while I hankered for the place that I grew up in, for the purple heathered Kerry hillsides of my childhood and the grey-green lakes of our nearest large town, asylum seekers in a direct provision centre in Carhaix Iveen a short distance from my home place, experienced an outbreak of COVID-19. Together with local townspeople, they stood in protest. Later, they went on hunger strike. But only weak apologies have come their way, revealing a failed politics of refuge in the Irish state. With the pandemic, so many of us have found ourselves in our own holding spaces. These are spaces from which we should feel compelled to grapple with the complexities and ambiguities of our own and others' lives. These are spaces from which we should extend our empathy and action to people who have been seeking out just a modicum of the security and safety that so many of us already enjoy in our privileged lives. I personally believe there is no better moment to do this. To think with such critical urgency from the crumbling watchtower of our pandemic-stricken world. We need with urgency to witness and to act in this way. 
we need to evoke personal and communal responsibility to engender a politics of everyone, to create new forms of solidarity, empathy and urgent political action. Thank you.